Welcome to Faithful Doubt. My name is Jordan. Uh, if you are new to this page or to uh, this video series, uh, this is a page in a video series where I discuss common objections and questions and doubts that people have about God, about life, about the Bible. Uh, and you can either join us on YouTube, our YouTube channel, hit subscribe and watch our videos there. Or you can join us on our Facebook group uh, page and uh, be a part of the community where we discuss these questions. It is a private group, uh, so we can have these discussions with one another privately. Uh, you can join us there as well. Uh, if you've been with us, then you know we just wrapped up a series and we're starting a new one today called The Old Becomes New. And this is a uh, series that's going to focus on what I, what I have run into in my own life a lot of times with, with uh, skeptics and uh, people who are even hostile towards Christianity, uh, they, they, one of the first things that they like to say, uh, you know, is the Old Testament seems so different than the New Testament, that God is so different in the Old Testament and he's uh, so, uh, versus the New Testament. He's so loving and gracious in the New Testament and he's full of wrath. And uh, I've even had people say, you know, God's evil. In the Old Testament, and if, if you feel that you are in the same line of thinking and, and uh, reason, then this video series might be uh, interesting to you. I don't know. Maybe you'll completely disagree with everything I say, and that's fine. Uh, but uh, this is an objection that, as Christians, I don't think we can ignore. I don't think it's safe to uh, to, to ignore it, and I don't think it's reasonable or acceptable to uh, just kind of sit by and just go, mm, I believe in the Bible and and I just believe because I believe. Uh, I Throughout these videos, I've, I've talked about the importance of uh, believers and Christians uh, wrestling with our doubts. And um, uh, one of the big sources of inspiration for Faithful Doubt was this book by Tim Keller, The Reason for God. Um, and I just want to read this little part real quick uh, to explain why I think doubts are so important. Uh, Tim Keller says, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless, defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen, listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be, dis be discarded after long reflection. So, you know, I've talked about it's important for believers and Christians to wrestle with our doubts and acknowledge them and not ignore them. And just as Tim Keller's pointed out, if if your faith has no doubts, if, if you completely ignore doubts, uh, then it might not lead to a strong faith and it could collapse when you experience something horrible. And this, this doubt and this question that people have about why God seems so different in the Old versus the New Testament, I truly believe a lot of times comes from a very personal, uh, emotional place in their own life. And usually it's in regards to a tragedy or a trauma that they have experienced. Uh, of course, I'm not speaking for everyone. That would uh, I'm not trying to do that. In my own experience, I've run into this a lot with family members and friends that I've I've had this discussion with. I know uh, that they have some horrible things in their past, and I think it's natural for a human being to, uh, when you experience something horrible or a tragedy, your natural response. I think all of our natural responses might well be 
to say, why would God allow this to happen to me? What have I done to deserve such a horrible thing to happen? Why does God not love me enough to prevent that from happening? Is there a God? Will he prevent? Why doesn't he prevent these things? Why does he allow these things to happen to people? And there has to be a certain level of humility as a Christian to say, you know, I don't have the answer for why God has allowed this specific thing to happen to this specific person. I, I don't. And no one, no one will other than God because he's God. Um, what I do know is uh, it's no longer acceptable and, and okay and reasonable for Christians to sit back when this objection is raised um, and just kind of go, well, you know, I believe in God because I believe in the Bible. And that's just what it is. That's not good enough. That, uh, you know, Jesus didn't didn't say that to people that interacted with him and asked him questions about why they should believe in God or why God does this or that. Uh, when they had their own doubts, Jesus addressed their doubts. He, uh, you know, you think of doubting Thomas or uh, the man who said, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals uh, his child. Um, <laughs> Jesus takes our doubts. God takes our doubts when we lay him, lay them at his feet. And he doesn't ignore them. He doesn't say, well, you must believe in me because I say so. God actually interacts with us in our doubts. And that can produce a very strong faith. Or it can lead you away uh, from a strong faith. Um, so this, this question, you know, in this series, I want to go over I, there's no way I could ever go over all the differences in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. There's there's just no way. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing discussion. But I'll, I'm going to try to hit the hit the big ones, uh, the big questions that people have about the Old Testament, if you will. Uh, and again, level of humility. I don't have all the answers. Um, this is from my own my own faith. I'm answering you know what I believe and what I can reason with and what I've studied and discovered and what I know to be true about God. Uh, so again, when people have horrible tragedies and traumas in their life, the natural question is, why does God allow that to happen? And as a Christian, I think I, I, I might might be overdoing it, quoting Job in, in these videos, but man, the book of Job is just so appropriate for these kinds of questions. Uh, you know, one the the friend of Job that sat there and and listened to him when he was telling him, you know, he, about the tragedies that Job experienced. I'm not going to go through everything, but if you're interested, read the book of Job. Uh, the friends that tried to reason with Job why God would allow something horrible to happen to him, those were not good friends. The friend that sat there and just suffered with Job, who just listened and just cried, uh, with Job. As Christians, you know, that's that should be our response when people have horrible uh, tragedies in their life is to just suffer with them, to be with them, to listen to them, not to try and, and explain away why something horrible has happened, such as, oh, you know, God has a higher purpose. He's, he works in mysterious ways, or he must have wanted your child in heaven more than he wanted him here here him or her here down on earth you know a lot of times it's a good intention white christians say things like that um 
it's a lot of times because we don't like silence and we don't like just uh, not saying something and we want to comfort the person that's experienced a tragedy in, in some way. Uh, but we have to kind of learn that, you know what, we don't know. We don't know why God allows such horrible things to happen to certain people. I know why there's death. I know why there's sickness and 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 uh, horrible things that happen. It's because sin is in the world and a consequence of sin is death. So there will be tragedies and traumas. I don't know why certain people experience worse things than than others. I, I don't. And I don't pretend to know. What I do know is that it's no longer acceptable to say, you, you can't say that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care about you, that he's indifferent towards people. Um, because if you believe in the gospel and you and you and the gospel's true and what Jesus did for us on the cross is, is true, then we know that God is he's not indifferent. He actually came down to earth. He gave up his throne. He gave up his status. Uh, he And he came down to earth as a human being to find us, to love us, to show us why he loves us so much and how he loves us so much that he will give up his own life to be with us for eternity. So Jesus isn't indifferent. God isn't indifferent towards us. He does love us. He did something for us. And one day everything will be restored we will, uh, you know, Jesus will come back, sin will be erased, death will be no more, illness will be no more, and, uh, you know, we will live in perfect union with God for eternity. Now, until then, I don't know why God allowed, I don't know how much time God's going to allow between that those two points and, and why he allows that much time. I don't know. So why, do, so why does he uh, allow, why does why does God allow evil? I think can be the best way to sum up this question. Why is evil allowed in the world? And I think a lot of people would say, because of evil, God does not exist. If, if there is evil, then God cannot exist. This is a tough conversation to have with someone, but I'm, I, you know, I think that the existence of evil actually proves the existence of God. And here's why. If, if there is no evil, how, how can we ever, uh, how could we ever judge morality? How could we ever reason morality? Um, I know this example might be overused, but let's take Nazi Germany. Um, if, if there is no God and, um, there's evil, then then what, excuse me, if there is no God and, and Nazi Germany and uh, 1940s America and uh, 1940s Britain, the rest of the countries in the world at the time, they all just have their own cultures of morality and belief systems. How, who judges which one is superior and which one is right? If, if, there, if there is no uh, higher measure, superior measure of right and wrong, then Who's to say that what Nazi Germany was doing was so evil? Who's to say that it was wrong? Uh, who's to say what America was doing wasn't wrong? Uh, you know, when when the Allies intervened into World War II uh, to liberate Europe and, and Asia, who's to say what we did was right and not wrong? Um, who's to say 
what anyone does is right or wrong. It just would come down to whatever I believe to be right is right because I'm my own judge. I'm my own morality system. So if there is no God, then how could evil ever exist? Because there is a God, uh, because, or excuse me, because there is evil, there is God. Um, we do have this objective superior morality system on which to, to measure right versus wrong. Um, so when we're looking at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, why, why is there, you know, why is God seem so different in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? I don't think there, there, if you've read scripture, there isn't really a huge difference. The difference is the Old Testament, uh, is, is, is a narrative, right? It's, it's a collection of stories. You know, you read the New Testament, you have the letters of Paul. These are collections of letters or the gospels or eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. Um, the Old Testament is a collection of stories and narratives throughout thousands of years of history. And so uh, I encourage everyone to read a book by Robert Alter called The Art of Biblical Narrative. Um, it really breaks things down for uh, the how to read the Old Testament. So, for instance, um, just because something is recorded in the Old Testament in Scripture uh, as part of the part of the narrative, that does not mean that the Bible is condoning that behavior or that action. Uh, you look at Genesis, and uh, there's two patriarchal power structures within Genesis. You have polygamy and primogeniture. Polygamy, we've probably all heard of. You can have multiple. One man has multiple wives, um, and uh, obviously, as Christians, we don't we don't believe that that's right. That's not the uh, plan laid out for marriage in Genesis two where a man will separate from his family and become one flesh with his wife. Um, so polygamy. What, what's crazy is these wonderful, great heroes of the Old Testament that we tend to look up to, Abraham and, and uh, David uh, and Jacob, uh, they almost all have multiple wives and commit polygamy. Uh, now, primogeniture, um, which is the... Uh, struck power structure that the oldest son inherits all the wealth, all the possessions of the family once the father dies. It doesn't matter if he has five younger brothers, only the oldest son gets uh, everything. That Those are the two patriarchal power structures within Genesis. Now, if you were to read Genesis and you read those and you go, wow, uh, Abraham has multiple wives and um, uh you know, Abel, excuse me, Cain, or the oldest son, so Jacob and uh, Esau and uh, Cain and Abel, the oldest son would inherit everything. Excuse me, I was having, uh, <laughs> having a momentary brain fart there. Uh, you know, you look at those things in Genesis and you go, wow, these, these godly men, supposedly godly men are doing some uh, weird and horrible things. Uh, just because it's recorded and that's part of the narrative does not mean that that's what's supposed that's not okay that that's not right that's not what that's saying in fact if you read uh the text is actually subverting those patriarchal power structures uh polygamy in every instance of polygamy in the old testament things don't work out well for those people committing polygamy uh spiritually financially uh emotionally whatever you, however you want to look at it there's there's havoc and destruction within for actually for uh, throughout the generations because of that. Um, 
in primogeniture, in every instance of primogeniture, God actually favors the youngest over the oldest. So Abel over Cain, Jacob over Esau. Um, God is favoring the youngest over the oldest because that system is not how God intended it to, to work. And so the text is actually subverting these practices and behaviors that are not of God. Um, we're going to look at some other things within the Old Testament and other videos. Um, but those are the two examples uh, that I can think of uh, for right now. And um, that I just I don't have enough time to go over everything again. So, uh, I, again, I encourage you to read uh, the book called The Art of Biblical Narrative. Um, I also encourage everyone to read The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Uh the, as we move forward in this video series, we're going to run into uh, some deeper, I think this is going to get deeper and deeper. Um, uh, next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, if why if God does exist and uh, that means that evil exists, then why does he allow evil uh, to exist? Uh, so uh, we'll talk about why there's so many horrible things that happen in the Old Testament and why God seemingly doesn't stop them from happening. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that episode. Uh, but today I just, I wanted to focus on this, uh, this, this question, where does it really come from? Where does the question, why does the Old Testament seem different than the New Testament? Why does God seem different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Where does that question, where is it really coming from? And I think a lot of times, if we're honest, it's coming from a place of emotional pain of I have experienced horrible things in my life and I can't I can't reason why God would allow these things to happen. Now, uh, just to wrap up, I will say the Old Testament is different than the New Testament. As I just pointed out, the Old Testament is mostly narrative and uh, the New Testament is letters to to churches, to groups of people. Um, and it's an, it's eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And then you have Revelation, which is a whole different uh, uh, thing to tackle. So um, they are different in their literary styles. Um, and this isn't to say that we should believe in one and not the other, or that the Old Testament uh, isn't literal at some points. Um, uh, again, whole other monster to tackle. But if you actually read the entirety of Scripture, the Old Test, the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. Um, in fact, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, and everything in the New Testament points to Jesus. It points to God. So uh, I I look forward to hearing uh, what you have to say in response to what we've talked about a little bit here in this video. Uh, again, I'll just kind of sum up what my point was, and that is uh, this question, when we run into it, maybe it's a deeper question than what we're giving credit for. I think a lot of times it's a question uh, from a place of hurt and trauma and emotion uh, rather than reason. And if that is the case, we have to be extra delicate and extra gracious um, uh, in dealing with our neighbors, with our friends and family who have those questions. But if you have that question yourself, uh, also uh, learn to be gracious with yourself and, and place that question before God. Bring your doubts to God. Uh, don't ignore them um, and don't um, uh, be angry. Don't allow it to turn into anger because you have ignored it for so long. Bring it to God. Bring it to a friend. Bring it to a family member. So uh, I 
Can't wait to talk to you guys next time. Uh, again, uh, we have a YouTube channel now. Go ahead and hit subscribe on our YouTube channel. Watch our videos over there. Or invite your friends to join uh, our Facebook group so that we can have more discussions and we can get a bigger community where we have uh, more honest uh, conversations about who God is, what he has in store for our life, and uh, the, let's, let's try to move each other from uh, doubt to faith uh, and love one another. I'll see you next time.